How's it going, everybody? What's up, man? I'm much. So I'm trying to get um, Can and and Jan from the um, uh, Delphi Digital to to join us in this kind of conversation today. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to make it or not. Um, so we might have to do wait until next week. But um, they've both been diving deep into the um, mechanics of Thorchain for a long time, and recently been diving deep into. Uh, synthetics specifically, and also Thorify. And so I kind of wanted to have them come onto the spaces and uh, talk to the community about um, kind of their viewpoint of looking at it from an analysis perspective or economics design perspective, because uh, they did a bunch of, of work on analyzing the uh, the pros and the cons and all that kind of stuff. So uh, hopefully they'll be able to make it today. They may not. If they don't, then we'll, we'll hold them in next week. Yeah, that's fine. Just let us know. That's going to be super cool whenever they can come on. It's all right if we have to wait a week for it because that, that sounds like it'll be a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's up, Chad Thoreau? You there, man? Yeah, I can't hear you if you are talking. All right, just give us one minute here. There we go. I think we're good now. Yeah, I think I did something weird because I invited you to co-host as you requested to speak, and then it was just all glitchy. Yeah, it was weird. It was like, it was like showing on my end that I was just a listener, but then it had like, the mic button and then when i i don't know it was, it was definitely just bugging out <laughs> but we're good now what's up guys how's it going bud doing good just getting started over here yeah anything interesting happened this week um oh no i was gonna, I was gonna say like uh one of the things we've been talking about um the, the core devs it's kind of fascinating and we're not sure this is actually gonna happen or not i mean it, it partially is already happening to some degree but um we kind of had this kind of crazy notion that uh, what we've designed on Thorchain um, is obviously like so uh, important, but we also realize that like it actually solves a large, a different, a different issue that we didn't really quite realize um, before, and that is about like custody uh, assets. It's kind of this funny idea of like that a lot of companies, like you know, big companies like you know, BlockFi or whatever, will use Fireblocks to like custody their you know tens of billions of dollars of, of value uh, which of course is somewhat problematic in the sense that you're relying on a third party that is centralized and has no transparency and, and all this kind of thing and we realized that like a few minor code changes to, to thorchain and that would allow you to actually build your own thorchain network separate from like mainnet or whatever that basically is it is thorchain minus the DeFi. And all it does is just it's just like a way of like custodying, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and Luna and like all these different assets in a way that like multiple people could participate, kind of like a multi-sig, but much more um, flexible and powerful and all sorts of stuff. So that's kind of a fascinating idea that we've been kind of like toying around with in the, in the background of like um, making a small change to Thor node that allows people, like people like Fireblocks or BlockFi or whatever to like be able to custody their assets in a very different structured way that allows them to have instead of a multi-sig which has limitations of how many people that can that can participate this would be you know you could have 50 people or, or if you wanted to or whatever it wouldn't really matter and that's a really kind of fascinating idea of like stepping um, towards this idea of like custody management or asset management which is a big business for like somebody like coinbase or block uh, fireblocks you know it's, it's a humongous industry and building something that's open source and free to the world to use to, to custody large sums of funds that have been provably secured by Thor, like Thorchain itself proves that it's, you know, you can lock up 
hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in value and was completely safe is pretty uh, uh, fascinating to me. So how would something so, like that function over, uh, you know, just the multi-sig? Because like the, the the advantage of ThorChain being that everything kind of is automated and how would, so what would be the difference between that and just a regular multi-sig? Yeah, so it has a lot of similarities. Uh, but the difference is, is that um, uh, you can actually... Um, each person is actually running the complete infrastructure required to do the entire process. And so you're just signing a transaction on this separate Thor chain blockchain, and then all the other people sign it as well. And that which creates kind of like a multi-sig-like thing. But the difference is, is that the funds are being signed by a threshold signatures and an MPC instead of multi-sig, which inherently means that the number of people that can participate is significantly higher um, and it has like, you know, and, and you can, you can't tell the difference on chain between what is a regular like EOA wallet address and what is, you know, one that's contains, uh, as, as basically a special signature. So it gives you kind of more privacy in that sense as well. It'd be interesting to run the Thorchain treasury with a system like that to like, see how that works. <laughs> Yeah, you could you could totally do that. I think uh, I think it's kind of interesting. In a multi-sig, like you you need some mechanism to like aggregate all the system, all the signs signatures together. So like I'll sign it, and then you'll sign it, and then I'll send my signatures to you, and then you send our, both of our signatures to Chad Thoreau, and then Chad Thoreau also signs it, and then he broadcasts it to you know Bitcoin or whatever using some Bitcoin data somewhere in the world somehow. Um, and so this is just kind of makes it like come on more of a streamlined, self-inclusive, everything you need is kind of built right, th- right th- there. Uh, and then you could just sign transactions. And once it reaches consensus, consensus, the network just signs it up on a transaction of Bitcoin to some address or Ethereum or whatever asset it may be. And like, it also makes sure that like people can expand it too, because open source, like if you want Fireblocks to support ThorChain, for example, well, we have to attack a Fireblocks, we have to convince them to do it. Maybe you know, pay them some money, possibly. I don't know what the what the actual process would be, but in this case, because open source software, people can fork it. People can add new chains without asking permission. You know, it's much more. Um, it, it adheres more to the mentality of our ecosystem of just our industry of just open source, free available. You know, software for people to utilize, probably see fit. So, if they were running like a separate Thor chain, does that mean like they would still have like? 50% ruin liquidity pools like like what does that actually look like so they wouldn't there wouldn't be pools at all it's like it, it wouldn't even be a bond so it might not even be a ruin like or an asset at all with, on, on the chain itself like no native asset and you but so instead you're just saying like these are the trusted parties right and in a system like BlockFi, they use trusted parties to like to custody these assets they don't want to like give it up to chance and put in some big giant mixer with other people. <clears throat> they want full control, full, full, uh, full access and full control all over the, the, you know, the whole thing, more or less, you know? Um, so there wouldn't be pools and there wouldn't be, you know, even bonding necessarily. It would just be sending in Bitcoin into a threshold signature Asgard vault. And wouldn't that, there's not even a need for a so vault in this case, but it's not to be like a high throughput, you know, system. It's just like, it's just there, like a, it's a big giant cold storage, more or less. And people just, you know, they select, they predetermine the, the, the private keys that are allowed to become nodes on the network. You know, and if you want to add a node, you can just add, you know, add a private key to, to the whitelist of nodes that are allowed to run on this network. 
and then they're operating a two-thirds consensus to sign transactions outbound. Got it. That cleared it up a lot. Yeah. So um, just that it's like the the Asgard only basically makes it uh, make sense. So is that like like this? This sounds like a. I mean, this is the first I've heard of this. Is this like something that's pretty like, like how uh, how actively is this being explored? Like, is this like does this seem like something that could kind of be like a separate business in a sense? Like, um, yeah, it, it might end up being a separate business and, and a mechanism for um, uh, specifically nine realms to be able to generate revenue as a company, right? Because they want to generate revenue so they can pay their their engineers and people that work for them. And we, as in the core team, we want to empower them to be able to do those because we want them to be around and to be, you know, well funded, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And we've, as a core, as a treasury, we've, we've, you know, given them quite a bit of, you know, room and money to to help to kind of get the, their feet off the ground in a sense and start uh, contributing value to the to the, um, the ecosystem, which they've done quite successfully. And so we, we want to empower them to be able to do some, you know, more things in the future. And asset management is just like a massive industry with, within crypto. I mean, it's not so much um, nobody knows about it or cares about it within the retail space of crypto, like for most people on this on this call. But anybody that is part of the institutional aspect to it and deal with institutional money, like you know, custody is obviously a, a big topic and a very very you know valuable topic. And so I think what we've designed here, and and we hadn't even quite realized until recently, is like we built the perfect custody system that is open source and free to the world to use and MIT licensed. And that's like, that's, that's, that's actually a pretty significant contribution to the larger space. And I think we're going to just make a few small changes in the code base just to allow somebody to, to, to use it as a custody mechanism if they choose to use it. It won't be the actual mainnet that we all are utilizing today. That, that's still going to be, that, that's not like a custody thing per se. That's just like, that's a DeFi platform. But this other thing is just custody only minus the DeFi. So no pools, no Thorify. You know, no Ubisoft, all that stuff, and all the things like because the code was de- developed in a way where like there's so many feature flags by the mirror to enable and disable X, Y, and Z, and all these things. Like it actually is a very small code change to actually allow to build something that is like basically Thorchain minus all the DeFi aspects. Uh, the only thing we required to, to make it work is just like having another mechanism to to send out transactions, which is basically just a bunch of validators just. You get consensus through, say, hey, I want to send this Bitcoin amount to this Bitcoin address with this memo and blah, blah, blah. And then they all broadcast the same thing and then it signs it and everything goes out. Like, that's the only actual code change required is that, which is relatively simple. Yeah, from what you're saying, like, that sounds especially useful for like Nine Realms and other DAO structures that, you know, take in funds that are sending out funds that are working with clients all the time, you know, right. where money's being moved around between between parties that sounds like a very interesting system i'd love to see that be built out with a uh you know a a true multi-chain hardware wallet that that works with everything (laughs) i I think something like that like once all the pieces are are together that sentence sounds very powerful yep 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 yeah that that part uh definitely got my mind going a bit like dow's using it or even other protocols that have have um assets on different chains to secure like yeah that's definitely a huge potential market <laughs> tfl <laughs> I, was, uh, I was thinking it uh <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool I, I will see where it goes over the next like six months or so and we're still kind of like brainstorming some things in the background and, and but it ended up just not being as much work as i initially thought it was going to be i thought it was going to be this big kind of 
coaching, maybe the fork the code and do a different repo, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, it was actually quite simple and straightforward. I mean, like what we've designed is so powerful and flexible that it, it's a minor change can make it become this a complete other product that is also extremely valuable to the, the greater crypto um, industry. And I was just like, oh, wow, that's okay. Let's contribute more to this, to the space. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, Cam's, by the way, in, in the audience. I don't know if Cam wants to get up and, um, from Delphi. Yeah, Cam, if you want to come up, uh, hit the request button. In the meantime, some um, positive news for the community. Um, so I think it looks, it's looking like that Thor Names is going to go live. Um, it's, been on, it's been live on StageNet for um, two or three weeks, whatever it's been. Um, people have been kind of testing it out a bit here and there. Um, which is great. And uh, it's looking like Thor Names is going to launch on um, uh, Mainnet, whatever, KSNet, uh, on, on version 88. So get ready for that. Hey, everyone. Hey, Ken. How's it going, Ken? How's it going, bud? Good, good. Just, hey, Ken. Uh, how's everyone? Good. 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 Doing good. So, so people that don't know Ken, um, he works for uh, Delphi Digital. I, I guess your researcher is the title that I would use, or that something else? No, researcher, yep. Yep. Uh, and so Cam recently wrote uh, a really great um, report on ThorChains and focusing primarily on uh, the performance of the network over the last you know year, uh, the performance of synthetics and this kind of stuff. And he wrote a really great report, which is um, a, a great read if you can get your hands on it. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, maybe I can share some, some of my my thoughts on recent stuff. Um, mm -hmm. The the whole like the Torsense, um I was like uh, so I was looking up to Torsense, obviously, but it's uh, the, the re just recently had time to analyze some of the on chain data, and um, I can tell that like the uh, what I saw was like really uh, above my what I was expected. So basically, what I uh, what I looked at is is um, um, in March when Torsens enrolled, so there was this like a cap, right, uh, on how much of, of capital in the pool can be made out of collateral backing up synth. Um, so that was around uh, in the beginning, it was like two point five percent of the pool, five percent of the asset, and um, so what I did was. I looked into um, the, um, uh, the the fees generated by minting and uh, burning of of synths, uh, which could which could also um, uh, which could also be used as like uh, synth swaps. Um, so how much how much of the uh, first I looked into volume. How much of the volume is generated by synths, uh, and how much of the volume is generated by native swaps? And I also looked at how much of the capital in the pool was made out of synth collateral and how much of it was made out of uh, regular LPs. And I went, when I compared the ratios, uh, and the result was really, very um, interesting in that synth uh, capital was like 12x more um, productive in terms of generating volume in the pool, uh, which is uh, amazing. So... Um, overall, this made the whole, and in a holistic view, when you look at like, just like, uh, volume over TVL, um, um, in general, uh, Torchain was like becoming, getting very closer to Uniswap. 
So Uniswap V3, actually. So that, that was really um, uh, interesting. Um, so like the, all of that volume doesn't, um, so that synth volume uh, doesn't equally uh, uh, generate fees as, as native swaps do because, um, because the slip is, is out. Um, so, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, swap sizes, I presume, are, are, are lower in general. Um, but in, in terms of fees, there were also like 4x more productive in terms of generating fees than uh, regular LPs. So those, I think, were the, the most interesting outcomes uh, uh, there. So overall, so yeah. Right, at, right after you, you finished your report, uh, the team had changed the the <clears throat> changed the rules of of synth swaps, where it was no longer like half the fees. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the same fees as everything else. So uh, I would assume if you kind of redone your analysis now, now that the fees are basically doubled for synth swaps, uh, it would be even more um, you know yeah yeah uh, encouraging yeah could definitely could definitely refresh it. Um, uh, and maybe share, share some of that, uh, uh, next month's, uh, call. But, um, yeah. So the, the interesting part about this is that now the capital in the pool is more productive in terms of generating, uh, revenue for LPs and bonders. So what this means is that, uh, you know, like everyone is pretty familiar with the deterministic, uh, um, deterministic price of room where like, you take out the the the, um, the pool size, uh, and then uh, and the uh, room supply, and based on those inputs, you calculate a deterministic price of room. Um, but now, now that we have since, it's actually we have like a, uh, and it gives you the like, and you take, um, the, um, uh, well, the deterministic room price, and you you look at the market price of room. And when you divide the, those two, you get the speculative multiplier. So this was like the, uh, this is the thing that's most commonly known by TorChat. Um, so that speculative multiplier was at all time low. That was one thing. But the second thing is that now that pools are more productive, you actually have to take that into account in, when, when looking at this, uh, the, that speculative multiplier, because that productivity actually dampens the, uh, speculative uh, aspect of it. So like, if pools become like 4x more productive, uh, 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 well, in, in, in aggregate, let's say the pools are now like 20% uh, uh, more productive, you need to like dampen the speculative multiplier by 20%. Uh, um, and so, yeah, just, just as a fun fact, maybe um, uh, if, if those are interested, maybe we can like have a metric taking into account this productivity in, in future iterations of... Uh, speculative multiplier. So does that mean as the uh, speculative multiplier uh, is going down, that means the capital is getting more efficient in the pools? Or sorry, the inverse of that would be uh, as the capital gets more efficient in the pools, the speculative multiplier should come down? Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, because like, I mean, in my mind, it makes sense because like the, the, the pools basically generate more revenue for the protocol. So it should have a, a, a bigger effect on um, on the deterministic, uh, 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 like its impact should be taken into account in my, in my opinion. Um, 
so what, what else can I, uh, what else can I share? I'm just thinking uh, out loud here. So I'm, I'm curious, like you were saying in the, in the report that, that um, overall Thorchain's um, AMM is the second most um, capital efficient AMM out there with the exception of, of, of Unity 3. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering from your perspective, do you think, there's a tendency that as Thorchain becomes more successful and its pools get deeper and uh, more adoption, more chain integrations, this kind of thing, you think that's going to push it towards more capital efficiency? Or do you think it would push it away from capital efficiency? So that's a good question. I don't. I really don't know the answer to that because um, um, it, so because like the analysis I put was like. Uh, um, when I looked into pools, the synth collateral in the pools was just like very low because of the caps. Um, so it was like 2.5%, and then it was it had been raised to like 7.5%. Um, but when when that cap is like when when that reaches like 16.5%, uh, maybe the productivity of of synths over native uh, can go like uh, cannot that can be like less than how it was. So, um, so back to your question, the capital efficiency can, so as, the, as like the synth share in the pool increase, maybe they become like, uh, their, uh, their excess of productivity can, can, can be lower, but, but, but I'm not sure. So I have to analyze that. So that's a good question though. Um, yeah. Yeah, one thing I noticed is that like you've increased the the max synth uh, rate to be fifteen percent of the asset depth, and whenever I kind of just spot check at random times the the actual uh, utilization of on the network, it's like usually I don't think I've ever seen it go high much higher than like ten percent at any given time. Mm. So it seems that like the community or the network has kind of figured out how much synth is really needed to accomplish all of its goals. For trading and, and arbitration, uh, arbitrage bots rather, um, and uh, that number is between five and ten percent. Looks like okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So if it's if it's kept there, um, then then there should be no reason why that productivity should should go low. But uh, I'm I'm so if pools increase in size, um, and there is like more swaps in general, maybe there is like more arbitrage opportunities. And that could mm -hmm. that could that could increase the the productivity, the capital efficiency even higher. Um, so, but but we have to wait and wait and see. I guess I don't have strong opinions on it yet. So, um, right. One right. one one aspect that was like that, that's very interesting is that like before, you know, like comparing Fortune to other AMMs uh, wouldn't make sense because like. In, in every swaps that you do, you are just like depositing your capital to Torchain, you're swapping, and then you're withdrawing it from Torchain. So that was like the, the, the only option that you have. And now you can just like deposit, you can do a bunch of trades as much as you want onto other AMMs because like you can, you can do those trades while you're sitting on, the, on, a, on a single chain. Uh, you don't have to like uh, withdraw to another chain every time, which is like, a, a more expensive mode of operation, basically. So uh, it was really remarking to see that, like, um, Torchain was like pretty much had a 
way better capital efficiency than than um, regular AMMs out there, like uh, QuickSwap, like uh, SushiSwap, like Uniswap V2. It was like an order of magnitude higher than those in terms of capital efficiency, and it was getting close to V3, which which is very which is very exciting. Yeah, and by the way, like the way that capital efficiency, at least my understanding, or or one of the mechanism it has to get higher capital efficiency, at least for V3, you correct me if I'm wrong, can is that that whole kind of concentrated liquidity concept that it implemented, right? To focus liquidity in a specific band, uh, to focus its liquidity in a certain kind of way. Uh, yeah. But I always th- found that, that that design concept was just like inherently flawed. Because to me, it just means that uh, the the data scientists of the world uh, who can do you know analytics and and and, and provide capital in a very short and tight band uh, would take away from the people who are just like oh I'm just going to provide liquidity into this pool and, and earn some yield like the, the kind of the normies if you want to call them that especially in the case of like in the case of a mev or a minor uh, a minor extracted value a mev attack uh, they have the ability to get four thousand times a more effective tool to attacking the, the network and attacking those pools to extract value from all the LPs and, and, and pull money into their own pockets, which was uh, kind of like the perfect tool for Mevatex, if you ask me. So, yes. Um, yeah. Like, in let's, let's imagine a case where UniV3 is on a, like, environment. That would be very interesting. I think, like, Zaki had very interesting... Arguments on, on this, um, where like if the gas fees are super low, the uni V3 structure, it's kind of makes sense to like as an LP, maybe like, yeah, like there's no LP in the pool, but every time there's a swap, you just like uh, a flash LP, you know, uh, you provide that LP just in time for that swap, which is like a very sophisticated strategy for the liquidity providers. So, like, normies can't participate in that. Um, you have to be like a very sophisticated actor um, to do that. The swappers, they get the best fees. Um, so that's a, that's, a, that's a good part um, because they, they have very minimal slippage, but the, the LPs doesn't, don't like benefit from it much. And, and, and like this is a hypothetical scenario, but, but currently v, V3 status is not that different. Like um, usually there, there are like some um, um, like, management protocols where you like provide passive liquidity and they manage your liquidity uh, with like uh, on, on UniV3. But it turns out that these strategies usually underperform active like liquidity management that, that sophisticated actors do. So like, for, for example, myself, like I was an LP in the, in the UniV2, but I've never LP'd in UniV3 because um, like you have to actively manage it. So it, this like, this goes like, uh, normies out of the equa- equation, whereas in the torching tor- case, which is which is also a very very cool aspect of it, I think, is that like this MEV is a huge problem across a lot of chains. It's still like like there's a very wide design space of like how to address MEV and etc. And in torching case, like because it is an application specific chain and there's like an order queue baked into the state machine, basically validators can't have little little influence, if any, on the order of swaps. So, like once an order, once a swap is observed, it enters into an order queue, and pretty much gets ordered in a way where, like, 
the highest fee generating swap gets uh, in front of the, the, the others. So like LPs pretty much benefit from essentially all the MEV is benefiting LPs um, because like the, 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 the largest swaps are prioritized and those are the ones that generate most fees. So there's a, there's a, there's a counter argument to this is that, okay, LPs generate greatly, LPs benefit greatly, but, but what about swappers? Like small fishes, um, large whales like get in front of small fishes. So small fishes like get usually the worst. So th this is the counter argument, which I don't agree because of two reasons. One, if LPs greatly benefit over the long term, the pools will get just deeper and deeper. Uh, and then you will have a large pool. And so like overall, this will, this will reduce slip for, for swappers. So that's one. And the second one is that like, as a, as a fish, you can always like, um, 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 well, uh, yeah, I, I take my second argument, but my first argument is still valid is that like, if LP is greatly a benefit from, from the MEV, that means like, they are the, the first class citizen and then, and they will just like, uh, uh, make the pools larger and then this will benefit as a second order effect of the, every swapper basically. And Ken, that, that was part of the design decision between, uh, removing that half slippage, uh, for synths because to remove that MEV attack vector where, uh, you know, a, a big boy could come in and mess with the fish, if you will, uh, just, you know, um, playing, playing with synths because they move, you know, very fast. Someone's doing a swap on, on Bitcoin where, you know, the confirmation times might take 10 minutes. Someone comes in there and, you know, messes with the, the pool prices uh, very quickly with the synths that could cause a problem for just the fish trying to make a swap. So this makes it a lot more of a even playing ground for, for everybody. Yeah, but the, the swappers in the end have the ability to, to choose how much asset they want to get on the other on the other side, so they can easily protect themselves from a sudden price or a pool 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 price movement just by setting. Oh, I want to get a minimum of you know X tokens on the other side of this thing. So even if it does happen, like they'll just get their fund, their their trade refunded back to them. They'll, they'll pay in gas fees, but <laughs> right, right. This is actually the second. This is actually the second point. That I, I'm just halfway. Yes. This is, yeah. You can you can set your targets as a swapper, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's an important uh, ability for for anybody, whether you're a big swapper, like a whale swapping, or you're you know a, a shrimp swapping, that you always have control over what you're going to get, and so nobody can like undercut you in a way. Yeah. But I think this is like genuinely. I think this is like a very elegant solution to MEV because like it's it's basically. I think it's better solution than just like uh, how some would call fair ordering where like first come first serve or like, uh, 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 yeah, because like you, the, the, the pretty much the chain um, pays attention to like uh, um, um, to generating like directly most MEV to LPs. So this is like a, a better strategy than just blindly like, removing all the maybe somehow in a hypothetical scenario where like let's say nobody has any influence on like order of swaps and like everything is, is executed first come first serve i think torches model is superior to that right so this is just, right. uh yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I think part of the, the, the point of this kind of swap queue and the ordering of swaps is in part to, to stop from forms of meta attacks, but it also just makes sure that like in a point of contention, when there's like lots of swaps happening more than a network can support in a particular block, then it just does the ones that are most valuable to the network. In the end, the network is trying to produce value for, for the, the node operators and for the, for the LPs, like that, that's kind of one of its primary goals. And so it's just it's just ordering things based on what's what's most useful or most valuable in the network. No different than like how Bitcoin will choose the person paying the highest amount of you know sats per byte to pay for you know your transaction on Bitcoin or your transaction on Ethereum. Like it's just prioritizing people that are contributing value more to the network and the people who are contributing less value to the network. Yeah, and, and the important part here that that maybe missed maybe is that like. This can this is only possible because like it's an app specific chain. Like in a general purpose chain where you have like smart contracts, this is not possible, right? So like right. The, the the validators are they have the discretion over the order of of, of transactions. So you can't design such system uh, in a in an AMM on a general purpose chain. Great, that's correct. Yeah, because you have con complete control of the entire environment. This is one of the kind of arguments I've made in the past, and I've done this like on a stage and um, uh, conferences in, in London and such, the, like, that app developers in the end are going to want to have the most control over their environment as possible to have the most power and flexibility to accomplish whatever goals they're trying to accomplish. And app-specific chains give developers much more power and flexibility and much, much more capabilities that you simply cannot remotely come close to on a smart contract. Yeah. The um, yeah, those are my 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 thoughts um, briefly. But yeah, I have to I have to hop, on, hop off soon. But if you have it, like if you like to discuss something else, well, I was, if you, I, was, I was hoping to get some of your your thoughts. And uh, you've been looking at four or five for quite a while. Been kind of analyzing, looking through it. And I was curious if if you wanted to share yeah. some of your responses or thoughts on on the design, what you like about, it, what you hate about it, everything in between. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a token econ mastermind kind of thing. <laughs> it's going to be dope. Um, very exciting. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a pretty complicated system. Uh, I'm not sure if I have time to like dig into every aspect of it, but essentially, irrespective of like, irrespective of runes, um price relative to like USD or other other um, crypto assets. Um, let's let's assume this is constant. Even if we assume this is constant, as there is more lending and borrowing and, and savings going on, um, essentially the token econ is designed in a way to burn uh, more and more room. Um, so as these adoption takes place, Rune, I can I can pretty much see Rune becoming like, uh, uh, like getting like all of these activities is going to burn Rune, which is which will uh, there's a very nice flywheel there, where as Rune gets burned, that increases a, a price outwards price pressure, which will uh, push uh, 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 which will push the bond uh, value higher, which will give room for pools to grow. And more capital as the pool, so that's like a, a very beneficial flywheel there. Um, let me think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. one of the things one of the things I love about it, the, the, the design is that like is that it's incentivizing that 
room be you know placed into the pools to deepen the pools and then the act of doing so and taking out a loan creates pressure to burn more room and so they have this really wild kind of a mechanism where the the act of making the pools deeper causes more pressure for the for the room supply to, to deflate you know it's kind of this interesting uh, relationship yeah um so yeah, and 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 the the currently and the current uh, situation, the room supply is capped, right? Total like there's a five hundred correct um, um, uh, yeah. million, uh, I think. Am I right? Uh, room. So yeah. when you right when, when five hundred million. Yeah. So when this uh, the torpor is inclu- is introduced, um, I just I just want to clarify this. Will there be any uh, inflation, like besides like this, uh, all this like uh, burning and minting of room and everything? Um, besides that aspect, will there be any 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 new inflation introduced, or um, this is not the case, right? Yeah, it's not the case. The, there's still inflation in the context of the reserve secreting room uh, into the pools and into the nodes as a as per block rewards. Outside of that, and the minting of burning room through um, derived assets, there's no other form of inflation right. happening. Right. So most likely, we will see a deflationary room. Um, that will be the case, and it's very, um, you know, it's um, um, with regards to token value capture. Um, this is really good. So um, currently, with a colleague of mine, we're working on like a layer one token value captures. Um, um, just like and when we look at like Luna, for instance, um, because the stable coin is there, uh, it, it, that creates a lot of value to the, the L1 token, which is pretty much why um, now like Tron just announced their, their stable coin um, and uh, with Torpy, um, Orchain will also have its stable coin. And I think it's very, very beneficial for the network to have its own algorithmic stable coin. Um, if if there's already a demand for for using that, which uh, Torchain is the perfect candidate for, um, because like um, Tor USD will be used by ARVs and etc. So like a lot of new stuff is getting introduced, um, like landing uh, uh, landing uh, savings account, Tor USD, uh, and everything. So. All of the things I'm very excited to uh, to um, to analyze and like talk about and everything. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Yeah, one of the things I'm kind of uh, interested to see kind of play out is because um, you were saying that that Rune is most likely to be you know deflationary for for this, these Thorpe changes. But when you think about the concept of the amount of capital of people in the world that want to provide both Rune and Bitcoin to a liquidity pool is far less than the amount of capital of Bitcoiners who want to earn more Bitcoin without ruin exposure at all. And yeah. so I suspect, I suspect that if, if the current yield for the pools uh, of the Bitcoin pool, for example, is, you know, it's around 15% or 20% would have held the numbers right now, um, that people who want to earn BDC on their BDC are, are probably looking for, you know, maybe 3%, 4% yield. It's, it's considered to be very, very good. You know, within within that industry, and so the amount of room that's going to be burnt to get to that place of three or four percent or five percent yield on that BDC is going to be, you know, probably five times or six times, seven times, whatever the number is, 
deeper than the pool itself is now. So the amount of BDC that's going to be sent into the network and then swapped to rune to burn that rune is going to be like in the hundreds of millions of dollars just for the BDC pool alone. Even at this earlier stage of blockchains, you know, the, you know, the uh, place where it's not really fully a, adopted or even aware of at this point in time. So I'm expecting it that the amount of room burnt from this system to earn BC on your BC, F on your F, Luna on your Luna, whatever else, is going to be orders of magnitude more than the depth of the pools themselves. Yeah, so I think I I, I agree with you because like uh, the yield in the pool right now, like year to date, year to date APY, I think uh, on average was like something like 15, 15%, I think, on, on, uh, on BTC. Um, um, if, I, if, if I remember correctly, um, just, just double checking on that if you want. But um, basically, um, I like the, the, the perspective you put to me when, when we had our chat is that like, the amount of people that want to supply rune and BTC is like a Venn diagram, right? Like you, you want, you want people that own BTC and rune and willing to supply both of them in an LP, which is like very limited compared to people just like have Bitcoin, right? Like you said, and, and earn yield on that Bitcoin. And if you have just like one sided price exposure, you don't worry about like getting, uh, uh, IL, uh, uh, and et cetera, your risk is like much lower than an LP um, because you have one-sided price exposure. So you should be okay with much less APY. Um, um, so uh, in, in that sense, like, um, and, and that APY, like a big portion of that APY in the pool is pretty much determined by how much is Rune is bonded versus pools. So pools grow a lot and the bonded side, like, uh, less uh, grows less uh, than like the pendulum rewards bond side, which decreases earnings in the pools, which is uh, not desirable for LPs. But the the, uh, the the important thing that shouldn't be missed here is that like um, this won't be a, a problem for savers all that much because um, they will be just like happy with their percent. Uh, yield on their Bitcoin, right? Um, they're not gonna, uh, 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 they're not gonna be chasing like 15% APY on Bitcoin. Like the 5% APY is pretty much much higher than what whatever you can get on on any market. So, um, so yeah, um, that means pools can grow until that APY maybe goes um, less than two percent, where it's not charming anymore. Uh, I would say, so that 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 just puts the perspective on like how large pools can get, uh, um, 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 yeah. So something some, uh, something to think about there. Yeah. Right. So if it gets to like two percent yield on the savings for for BDC, for example, and that's just not charming enough as as, as you phrased it. Some percentage of people will leave, whatever rumor that is, uh, which generally speaking would be a very small percentage, and then the, the yield would change from two percent to three percent. 
which is then, you know, once again, has reached that charming mark or maybe 4% of the charming mark or whatever the hell the number is. Like the free market will in the end will determine what is the appropriate amount of yield for, you know, BDC on your BDC, which is a very low uh, risk scenario, right? Right. So the yield will so actually be low. Just, just like re reiterate, um, so currently, currently, like the pools are made out of LPs. In this model, we kind of envision we're looking at a, a, a pool construction where maybe 80 percent of it uh, is made out of like um, made out of um, collateral by these like borrowers, um, which already forego their yield. They're, they're not looking to earn any yield, uh, right? They just want to like lever up on their on their position, uh, and so. Um, if APY goes from like 15% to like 5%, those people are, are, are going to remain inside because they already like let go of their yield. They just like provide their LP and then they, they, they mint for USD and they lever up on their uh, assets pretty much. Um, on the other hand, uh, uh, we have savers and, and savers, as long as they're happy with uh, a single digit APYs that the torchain provides like that may range from like 2% to 5% or whatever the number is. Um, that means like all the capital in the pool will be very sticky, will remain there and like um, uh, can continue to grow as like bonded side increases, right? Um, yeah, so my like honest, my biggest, biggest, biggest fear is that like the core chain doesn't have any issues in the future. So like issues meaning like any hack, exploit, whatever. If these kind of like um, 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 bad stuff like don't happen again, I I see little to no reason why the chain wouldn't explode. Really, um, I, I'm like very very excited for things to come. You'd be both. <laughs> Same. Uh, on that point from a minute ago about like when. Um, when BTC, like if the yield were to get so low, like down to 2% or something, and then at that point, uh, it might make sense for some to, to pull out. Um, that would still mean Rune is deflationary if Rune outperformed BTC in that time, right? Because now when you're pulling out of savers, uh, Rune is being minted back, but it would be if Rune, uh, you know, if everything has gone really well over that time period, then there would be less Rune minted on the way out, right? So it's still like taking, it's still deflationary in that way unless that asset outperforms Rune, right? Um, that is correct, but I think partially correct because part of it is also what, uh, what, la what uh, the um, borrowers are going to do. So if borrowers, they... Um, uh, the, the, the minting and burning of Rune on the borrower side, it depends on Rune's price relative to USD. And on Sabre's side, it depends on Rune's price relative to derived assets, which is BTC, whatever. So like bo both factors are in play here. So if Rune outperforms BTC during that period, that is deflationary for Rune. But maybe Rune and BTC underperformed against USD, which may be, you know, like, um, that can counteract and, and maybe like uh, uh, inflate um, depending on, on, on what cryptocurrencies perform, like performance. So there's like two factors to take into account there. Um, yeah, but it's also, even if Rune's price and Bitcoin's price stay relatively the same, 
it's still deflationary there because the way that it's designed is it's 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 asymmetric upside because that's because of the slip base fees to to, uh, to get in and out of Thor BTC. You're paying fees to get in and out, and so even if the prices stay the same from when you get in from when you from when you leave, it's ruin is still going to be a deflationary uh, in that context. Yeah, the best case is obviously that the, the, the all the assets outperform USD and the rune even outperforms other assets. Um, and the, in in this case, like the worst case would be the the, the opposite, basically. Yeah, and even if you look at if you look at rune's performance over like a long period of time uh, versus something like Bitcoin, it's like last year I think it was like it, it outperformed Bitcoin by seven x, right? And and this year it's that's also I think it's also outperforming as well, if I'm not mistaken. I think I look at the numbers, but but it, and that's just largely because um, there's a lot more action happening in, in Thorchain's ecosystem. Like there's a lot more fun things happening, interesting things happening, some changes being made. Bitcoin's kind of really of a slow moving, and that's that's a, I don't mean that as a negative. It's a good thing that they're slow moving. It's not a lot of things happening other than like you know Schmo signatures and and. Uh, and taproot and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, like yeah. historically speaking, Rune has always, almost always, outperformed uh, Bitcoin in all cases, except for maybe like a month here or a month there. Yeah. What yeah. one thing that could be interesting? To uh, if I can just ask one more question you, before you. Oh, sorry. Sure. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just, uh, just if you want to keep talking about, it, I know, I know you have to go soon, but. Uh, I want to get your opinion on, I don't know if you've done any research into any other, uh, you know, cross-chain protocols that try to solve this this multi-chain problem and bring us more into a future where, you know, people are interacting on multiple chains. Uh, so I don't know if you had uh, wanted to share any thoughts or opinions on where ThorChain fits in with that field, if there's any, uh, you know, other solutions that, that you also have done research on that, that you're looking at. Uh, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on the solution to the multi-chain problem and where Thor, where ThorChain fits in the order of that. Sure. Um, just before we dive into that, can I just briefly make what, uh, uh, yeah. ask one, one thing? Um, so one thing that I was uh, I was curious to, to have your you guys' opinion is that like, currently like we're in an interesting uh, we're in an interesting point in time where like. The, the soft caps have been removed, right, for the first time ever. So that's like a huge thing. Um, and currently, if I remember correctly, um, the pooled room is at like forty percent of the bond room. Um, what What are your expectations on that? Like, with, with uh, taking into like account that, that uh, now the soft caps are are gone, um, do you expect that uh, pooled room to 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 reach bonded room over time, or like? What's your thoughts on this? Um, I was just curious for that, and then we can, I can share my opinion on your on your question next. Uh, so my thinking is that that will change with time in the context of like as we add you know more chains uh, as a community, we add more chains like the Gaia chain or Av uh, Av uh, Avalanche or Binance Smart Chain or whatever. Like this will just uh, encourage new communities to become more aware of blockchain and what it's doing and why it's valuable. To their ecosystem, um, which will cause more liquidity to be to jump. I mean, look at like the Terra pools, for example. Like Terra is actually, I think the second of, I think it's the third largest uh, ecosystem on the on the network right now. It's got about a hundred million dollars in total, which is slightly more, I think, than Bitcoin. I think Ethereum and 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 Binance at the most. 
And so like, I think as we add more chains, that will just cause more kind of uh, volume to come in. And then as, as they get introduced into the system, like the, the terror system ecosystem did, uh, they'll discover, oh, we can swap to Bitcoin. Oh, we can swap to Litecoin. We can swap to Doge, other assets as well. We'll just create more yield and more swapping on the other pools, not, not even just the, the new chain that was added. And then on top of that, when you, when you add in ThorFi and you add in lending as a, as a driver of why I would add liquidity to ThorChain, that's just going to create more demand to do so and cause the pools to get uh, considerably deeper. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's 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 very crucial for like also like not just more chains but more mindshare basically um, those like communities in in, in those chains um, like the more they, they they're aware of ThorChain and the value it brings it's pretty much uh, become more more useful. Yeah. Um, to, 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 yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like my, my hope and my intention is that, is that, uh, this community, search and community will just expand, expand, expand the more chain integrations that we add and the more communities we kind of come in touch with, especially if we can, if we can, when we do these launches, we can, we can connect with the foundation or the community around that new chain and get them kind of talking about it, get excited about it, just as we just kind of saw with the Terry uh, ecosystem. And all of a sudden, a bunch of terror people are, you know, a bunch are, are, are lunatics or lunatics now, right? And I think yeah. as, as the kind of we add more and more chains and we kind of introduce more and more communities to what it is that we're doing, we're showing them the value, what we're accomplishing as a project. Just the number of, you know, door chats in the world will just increase, 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 which should cause the room price to increase, 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 which should cause people to add more liquidity to the pools, which should cause like a whole kind of, you know, flywheel effect. That's so I'm hoping that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, back to the back to the question of like where Torchain sits in this like multi-chain world. I think like a lot of people have this like misconception on like are like looking at it in the, in the wrong lens where like they compare Torchain to like bridges, whereas like Torchain is really um, an exchange, right? Like uh, currently, like uh, like is this an exchange? But like like finance exchange, like centralized exchange, but it's a it's a decentralized version of it. So if if you really think like I think the right comparison would be like to work in that direction. Like how would you decentralize and, and make an exchange censorship resistant and decentralized? And when you look at it in that lens, I like the comparison I have with Torchain is is really DYDX. Like um, so. When you compare DYDX to, to like in DYDX case, like they basically, they currently on Starkware, they, they, uh, they, they're non-custodial. So they like, uh, have these like ZK proof technology to, to offer a non-custodial exchange experience. Um, but, um, the, the, um, um, the the difference is that like their their token is completely isolated from their activity, so it's like a, almost like an air token. It just it does absolutely nothing. So it's it, it's like this is why they I think fall short in 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 building a community around around their exchange and everything. Um, and um, and what's interesting about about this is that like. Recently, um, they have. I think they are now um, uh, not going to operate as a roll-up anymore on Ethereum, and they're going to be operating as an app chain, as I heard. 
uh, on Cosmos. And the reason they do this is basically regulation is pushing them, uh, from what I heard. Uh, uh, um, and so, like, when you, uh, when you look at the, the value that Torchain brings, it's basically a bunch of anons that uh, civil resistance with Rune, uh, the, 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 all the activity accrues value to Rune, and pretty much it, it's, it's, the, it's by far the most censorship resistant native swap that uh, 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 that serves as this purpose, you know? There's no other solution that I know of uh, that can offer this. So in this respect, like, I think it's, it's pretty much doesn't have any competition whatsoever in terms of like censorship resistance, cross-chain swaps. And um, this is really a vital use case, I think. Um, Obviously, like there will be bridges, uh, tons of bridges, uh, tons of like uh, cross-chain applications and whatnot. Um, but like um, there are like aspects of, of Torchain that uh, that I think would be very very hard to compete. And one of them is basically this like bonded value has to be higher than than the pooled value, uh, which is really like. A hard network effect to build. Like it, it will take years for to build such such thing. And so, like I think we're sitting at a unique position with regards to that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree. There's, it's, we've been running this thing for a year, two if you include single single chain KSNet. And to this day, there's still no no real competitors doing what we're doing. So the closest thing I can think of right now is probably something like um, either Chainflip or Maya Protocol, which not, neither one of them have quite launched yet, and they're probably months away at, at, at minimum, um, who might be able to do something similar to what we're doing, but they're still so far away. And, and you know, and they have to have, you know, we have the first mover advantage. We're already working on integrations and all these kinds of stuff. But I, I hope to see competitors into the future because that, that just creates a healthier industry as a whole. Like, I don't want the entire industry to be reliant on Thorchain for the Bitcoin, native Bitcoin trades. That wouldn't be a good thing for the, for the industry. I want to see at least like two or three competitors and have people kind of pick the one they like the best that has the cheapest fees or most security or whatever attributes they kind of look for. Would you, would you agree with my uh, DYDX comparison? Um, yeah, I mean, I could see some commonalities there. Um, but I think like they've kind of like put themselves into a corner and they're now trying to, to adjust and kind of redevelop and redesign, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. They just, you know, have to go back to the drawing board in a sense because they, yeah. they, they reach, I mean, DYDX in the, in the original implementation was just very limited to what you could do. You, you, they painted themselves into a corner of like specifically the EVF, right, on, on Ethereum. And now they're trying to move outside of it, which caused them to kind of restructure everything from scratch again, which is always, you know, problematic and time consuming and, you know, security risk uh, and all these kind of things. Whereas in Thorchain's case, um, you know, it's designed everything from such a, a clean and, and first principle perspective that it can change in a heartbeat to do whatever it wants to do. And that's yeah. from adding every chain underneath the sun, more or less, or even as I was saying in the beginning of the conversation about like, turning Thorchain into a custody asset management system was only like, it took me four hours of work to do that, right? <laughs> like it was a very small, relatively very, very small, very easy thing, easy thing to do, which just goes to show it's good designs, how it, well it's structured its architecture from the get-go rather than 
painting itself into a corner. Yeah, it's, it's literally, it's literally, a, how would you decentralize an exchange, right? Like the products that exchanges provide are like, you start like in Portugal, you start with like spot prices, right? Spot swaps, right? Just like um, uh, regular swap. Now it's going to have lending, uh, custody, and uh, like uh, uh, maybe in the future, derivatives. Interest accounts. Knows, right? Yeah, interest accounts. Yeah. And like all these products can be added like gradually over time and everything. So it's it, like all the, like the comparisons of Torchin and others should be like really an exchange to exchange comparison, not, not a bridge uh, to exchange comparisons. Right. Right. And if you think about it, like, it's, it's kind of funny, but like the Thor chain is like a centralized exchange, except there's sort of one, one server or one cluster of servers running all the logic and all the trading and all the things. It's got 104 all running it simultaneously and running in, in tandem with each other in uh, full transparency and ver- ver- uh, ver- verifiability. And so, like, that's a pretty, you know, remarkable thing. I mean, it's, it's hard to build a, a centralized exchange in general. Making it decentralized is like, you know, times 100, which is why nobody's ever <laughs> yeah. done before, right? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really cool way of thinking about it, that ThorChain almost has more in common with the centralized exchange minus the centralized part than it has in common with bridges and all these other alternatives. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Guys, I have to leave now, but it was a great chat. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, to do this again next next week. Thanks, thanks, thanks for, for having coming me. On, Cam. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. you so much. Feel free to come back another another time. We do this every Friday at noon, so you're welcome to come back and, and come back on stage. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah. For thanks for your again. time. Super informative. Thank you. Thank you. To everyone in the audience, uh, Delphi's piece on Thorchain is out now. If uh, you consider, uh, you know, checking that out, uh, it's it's quite expensive, but you know, you can go you can go look at it and maybe purchase it if uh, you're interested in reading the report by uh, Ken and, and Jan. So that that was. I great. Wish- I wish they would do a thing, and actually, I'm going to suggest to them later, like, any report that's older than, like, you know, a month or six months or whatever the number they feel comfortable with just becomes public, right? And just becomes available to everybody. I wish they did something like that. I, I mean, I get they're trying to make money. They're, they're spending a lot of time and energy trying to do these research and, and run these numbers and, and do the data science to, like, show their perspectives and understandings of these different ecosystems in the world. And then they need to make money to pay for these people's time. Like that all makes sense. I wish they would make it like open, you know, eventually. Yeah, that's a good idea. I I would add, um, there are, there were like some, some recap threads or summaries, like people can find, um, you know, some of the gist of it, uh, out there. If you're not, if you're not looking to spend all that, um, I'm sure, I'm sure there's still more value in the actual thing, but you know, you can see some discussions around it and stuff like that. Yeah, I think there's a, a couple of tweet threads, and maybe we can pin it here if we can find one um, where people kind of explain the the high you know takeaways, the, the high level takeaways, the TLDRs. But if you want to get into the nitty gritty and read kind of every nook and cranny, you'll have to find that document. I think you would be a good one, Chad, if you want to pin that up here. Unless you're just trying to plug your own tweet thread. <laughs> just trying to get followers. <laughs> please follow me, sir. Please. No. Influencer. Uh, <laughs> no, I think there's actually better ones out there than mine, to be honest. Because I wasn't sure what the post... I, I, I read it and I, I was hesitant to post anything because I didn't want to, you know, step on... I want to be respectful to the, the Delphi team and not kind of like, you know, uh, under, undercut them. And so I, I only put down like three of the top seven 
uh, takeaways uh, in my tweet, little friend. Uh, just to, just so you kind of left a little something on the on the on the on the bone to 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 you know uh, get them some revenue. But I'll search for a tweet and uh, see if I can find one that uh, works well for this. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks for thanks for getting them on. Uh, really really interesting guy to talk to. He was on here for like uh, almost an hour. It was like fifty minutes. Yeah, I love that guy. Him and I had talked multiple times, and sometimes I'll throw uh, just ideas and concepts at him. Um, like we were talking the day uh, the other day about I threw this idea at him about how we can accomplish uh, fixed rate interest rates on Thor savings, so people can opt in and get in. They can say, "Oh, I want to get you know five percent fixed rate interest on my BDC." And the network would create a mechanism for them to do that with complete 100% guaranteed, like no ifs, ands, or buts. And he loved the idea. He, he said a quote is a no-brainer. And so maybe we'll do that as part of like V2 of four or five rather than V1. Um, but I, I love to throw ideas off of him because he's such a smart guy. And he's thought of stuff pretty deeply and understands the mechanics of ThorChain well. And so every once in a while, I'll throw ideas at him just see how he, how he likes them or not. And he understands that Thorchain has the best vertically integrated DeFi stack, just period. And, you know, all these amazing products to be built on top of it, it's more more akin to an exchange than it is a, a bridge. Yeah, he, he understands all of the, uh, you know, really deep points that we've been thinking about for a while. And it's it, it's it's uh, very nice to hear them, like, validated in that, in that way. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, this is a little bit of an aside, but but Chad, you mentioned uh, Luna and UST depth versus Bitcoin, and I, I pulled it up, and they're they're literally neck and neck right now. Like literally, while we were talking, I saw the sum of Luna and UST pass BTC. I don't know if they've been flip flopping back and forth or if that was a first, but um, yeah, pretty cool to see that. <laughs> yeah, that, that just shows you um, something. I mean, like considering how much. Uh, smaller the market cap is of like the Terra ecosystem versus Bitcoin, and to see that much capital come into, into of that capital, like percentage wise, that come into Thorchain to be LP and the uh, you know Terra pools and whatnot, it just shows you the engagement is so different between those two different communities. Just added up court here. Uh, you might have a question. Hey, Night at the Roundtable. Hello, hello, hi there. Thank you. Hello. Sorry, I, I cannot hear you at all. <laughs> I don't know if it's for, for you guys too. And uh, I am driving. Yeah, I can hear so either. Try and be careful. Um, yeah, yeah, I think sorry, your I service is your service is cutting in and out. Of, we yeah. we heard a bit of it, but um, yeah, maybe you can try once you get where you're going. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. We'll try. Uh, let's actually get into some of the uh, the the weekly update things because we just kind of skipped over all that <laughs> when we get when uh, Kat came on. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a few minutes for that and then we can uh, open up to general questions. Uh, all right. Yeah, sounds so. good. So uh, first up, uh, Grassroots Crypto put out a video on, on Mainnet and that's one of the pinned tweets up top next to Chad's uh, thread on Delphi Digital's report. So uh, yeah, it had a bunch of, bunch of good info on the mainnet launch, just kind of reiterating what we've always been talking about in here. So if you're curious on what to expect leading up to mainnet, uh, definitely watch that video. It goes into, uh, you know, the, the you know, what, what, what to expect leading up to mainnet, what's going to happen afterwards, uh, you know, just for people who have been asking questions the, the entire time, thinking that, you know, the devs are, are going to leave or 
uh, abandoned the project after mainnet, which is just preposterous. Chad Barford is is here for life, so. <laughs> no, of course not. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no, we actually haven't had anybody leave at all, and um, to my knowledge, nobody's leaving after mainnet, other than the just the public thing of, of plan obsolescence, which we've been talking about for since the very 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 early days of the project. Um, there's nobody planning on leaving anytime soon, but at least not that I'm aware of. Yeah, and that's ultimately a positive. I mean that that's a that's a shift towards decentralization of the protocol, more community involvement. Um, so yeah, I remember like when the, when the coin bureau video <laughs> came out, there was definitely some misunderstandings around that. Um, question yeah. I do have for you, Chad, on, on, on that point, I remember you mentioned maybe a week or two ago that like there, there was, uh, I don't know if you'd say disagreement, but like different, different ideas about like, up, like if, if, if new requirements would be added before, before mainnet, or if that checklist from before would stand, uh, just curious, I don't know, are there any, any new thoughts on that front, uh, and any agreements? Yeah, there, there continues to be conversations. Um, it's seeming, it's seeming like now there are more and more people are coming to the, the sooner mentality of, of kind of getting ready for mainnet and having that kind of label be placed upon it. Um, there is, uh, there's no more like new technical requirements, but there is something, um, some really, uh, kind of big news coming out, uh, that we'll, we'll kind of leave, we'll, we'll kind of launch mainnet with this news at the same time. Uh, cause it's kind of a nice little, uh, segue into mainnet. It's actually almost a perfect segue into mainnet. Uh, I can't go into too much detail now. We want to keep hush hush for the, for the moment, uh, until things are more, uh, solidified, but it's looking very positive. So I think we're going to be seeing mainnet probably in the next month. That's my understanding, assuming that this other, we're kind of waiting for this other news to kind of put their stuff together and get ready to, to kind of make an announcement, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And so uh, I think that's the thing we want to do is kind of have those mainnet and this this kind of new, um, really good news come out together simultaneously to kind of signify the, the change. Um, and then at that point, we can start, you know, doing the kill switch and like all that kind of stuff. That's the other thing that people have a lot of questions on is the kill switch. So, uh, the, uh, yeah, what's your what's your thoughts on how that's gonna go? Like, do, do you know if there's any preliminary plans on like when specifically ERC twenty rune? Because uh, that's kind of been the hot topic lately on when to retire right. ERC twenty rune. Right, right. So ERC twenty rune has kind of been like a pain in my side for a long time in many respects. Every once in a while, I get somebody uh, yelling at me about it. Um, so the idea of the kill switch is so within the network there's this thing called the switch uh, or a switch handler and that's what's used to kind of send in some BEP2 rune or some ERC20 rune um, which gets burned and then mints an equal amount on, of native rune on the chain to your Thor address. And so the kill switch is basically a, a code change that was made um, before where it the ratio of how much rune you put in versus how much rune you get out starts to kind of like dwindle. So right now it's like a one to one and then eventually be like one to 0.9 and then a one to 0.7 and then one point point five. And so over the course of some period of time, the the kill switch will kind of slowly kind of die out and you'll get less and less room per room you put into the network. Um, and so all this is controlled by Mimir and this is all controlled by the nodes. So at once we're, we kind of hit that mainnet um, kind of that, that moment in time, I think we'll probably throw it out to the community to, to decide like, okay, when do we want to start the kill switch? Okay, maybe we'll start it in a month or some number. 
And then how long do you want that kill switch to go on? How fast do you want that kind of ratio between non-native rune to rune ratio to kind of like decrease? And maybe the network will say, the community will say three months, maybe they'll say six months, maybe they'll say 12 months. I don't know. It's not up to me, it's up to the community to decide how aggressive we want to be about this uh, as a community. But the nodes will effectively make that kind of determination when it's time. Uh, and by doing so, we can kind of get rid of the ERC-20 rune, rid of the BEP2 rune, kind of simplify the, the, the greater ecosystem, uh, and there'd just be a single asset that people can acquire uh, uh, into the future. Awesome. Yeah, that that was one of my questions, but it sounds like you answered it. If uh, if both of those variables would be Mimir votes, like both the both the start date and the duration, and sounds like yes. Yes, there, there's two separate Mimirs that you're going to have to vote on. Um, one is the, the block height in which this whole process starts. And the other one is like, how many blocks does it take until this thing goes to zero? Right. Um, to, by default, it's set to a year, uh, in that, in that, um, um, in that duration, the 12 months, but the community can decide to make it 24 months if they wanted to, they can do six months if they wanted to. We'll see what, what the community kind of advocates or pushes for. Cool. So nothing uh, more to do other than wait for this, you know, discussion. Uh, do, do you know when, like, this would be around mainnet that this this vote would take place? Yes, probably around mainnet. Once we go to mainnet, I think that's the kind of, to me, that's my signal of like, all right, let's, we're, so in a sense, like, single chain KSN was kind of like our alpha kind of proof of concept, right? Proving the technology works, the cryptography works, proving the economic design functions the way we thought it was multi-chain chaos net was kind of like the public beta, right? Just kind of like, okay, we, we got our we got our footing here. We'll just kind of iron out the, the kinks of the cobwebs that kind of make it more resistant, more reliable, figure out kind of the, some of the complexities of X, Y, and Z. Um, and then once we go to mainnet, that's kind of like, okay, now we're like full production ready, right? And so once we have mainnet, uh, we can go ahead and start to kind of do away with what we were utilizing during alpha or beta phase and just kind of like kind of trim the past, trim the, the, the you know, kind of, um, yeah, trim the past in a sense. Cool. Yeah. On the topic of Mimir votes, another thing going on at the moment is the, the cloud provider limit vote. Um, I actually don't even know what, what the status of that has been. Has, has anything, has anything passed or is the vote still, uh, going on? But, uh, basically that would be to control the maximum, uh, nodes on a single, uh, cloud provider just as a as a push towards towards decentralization. So uh, yeah, what's right. the status there? Yeah, so that's that's the point of it is is to push towards centralization. Make sure that no one single cloud, cloud provider has the ability to interrupt service. Today, no cloud provider has the ability to actually like to um, withhold like they can, they can, the worst they can do is basically take the take the chain offline. In which case. The nodes that were on that cloud provider just have to take their private keys and then build a new node on another cloud provider and then start up again and everything continues on just fine. Um, so even if that were to happen today, it wouldn't actually like it would just cause the network to pause temporarily until the nodes kind of you know reposition themselves somewhere else and then everything would continue on just fine. Uh, but the idea is that we want to make sure that even if one cloud provider to start says you know you get some sort of mandate from the European government or or whatever the hell it might be. Uh, doesn't have an ability to actually interrupt service on this chain. And so the the code has already been done. It's ready to be merged. And there was kind of a push in the, in, within the core devs to like, well, before we actually merge this code chain, we'll see if the community actually wants to see it happen or not. 
So now there's a, a ongoing kind of uh, vote within the community to decide, is this a feature we want to have or not want to have? Because some node operators don't want to see this because they don't want to have to move from cloud A, you know, provider A to cloud provider B. Uh, and some, you know, do want to see it because they want to see us move to, uh, to, deeper towards decentralization. I actually would be very fascinated to take like do an analysis of every like Cosmos chain out there and figure out what percentage of them are, you know, what's what is the distribution percentage across cloud providers? And I would I'm just taking a guess here, but I want I'm gonna guess that like eighty percent or ninety percent of like of nodes on most Cosmos uh, chains is like on AWS. Because it's not much of a communication or a conversation within the communities that, I, that I've seen around yeah. dis- distribution of like nodes across infrastructure. And to be fair, like they don't need it as much as we do because what we're doing is like probably a bigger target from a regulatory perspective than than you know Adam or Gaia Chain just like having a chain that just doesn't really do much at all other than just governance votes, right? So they don't really have much of a risk per se. It's so we have a more significant risk than than you know they do. But I'm willing to bet that we're far beyond. Like I'm pretty sure, actually, like the Secret Network does almost entirely Azure, Microsoft Azure nodes, because they require specific kind of special grade hardware to accomplish the privacy aspect of the Secret Network, and so they're almost entirely on on Microsoft Azure. Um, And so, like I'm sure other chains are like that, but there's not that much fixation or focus on 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 decentralization in terms of where their nodes are being executed or run, run on. Yeah, that's an awesome point. Like <clears throat> the level of uh, scrutiny we kind of uh, have around Thorchain is like so much higher than in most cases, you don't even see these discussions at all. <laughs> so that's that's kind of funny. But but as you said, yeah, I mean, with 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 Thorchain, it's kind of, um, you know, it's just such an important piece of infrastructure. Like we we want to have that higher level of scrutiny and um, really like uh, just lean as far towards the decentralized end of the spectrum as possible. Like even if it's already doing better than others, like that's, that's still not kind of good enough uh, in, in our perspective. Right. So yeah, it's cool. It's cool to kind of uh, compare it in that way. I actually would really like to do that kind of analytics myself. Uh, and I, I might put out a tweet thread at some point when I actually find like 30 minutes or so to try to do some analysis on all the other Cosmos trends in the space. But I, I kind of want to do that. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious to see what the actual numbers are. Yeah, I'd, I would love to read that if you find them the the 30 minutes. So let's see what else we got here. We hit. Yeah. Switch. Other yeah. than that, uh, there I, I held a an AMA with Rango Exchange on Wednesday two days ago. And that's available. The recording is currently available just on Twitter. Like if you go on the Thorchain profile you can just scroll down and find that rango exchange ama it'll be uploaded to youtube and spotify soon uh but yeah that that was a great ama uh chad asked some questions uh chad throw i think you you tuned in for a little bit um rango is killing it right now like they i think they have the most advanced aggregator in uh in d5 period right now with into with you know utilizing thorchain and connecting it with uh like solana avalanche uh, you know, finance smart chain. Uh, they they have a very advanced system on right now, and definitely are not uh, talked about enough. I was glad to have that conversation with them. Do they have Solana? I, I wasn't sure on that. I, I didn't think I saw it, but I thought I did. But uh, let me double check right now. But either way, yeah, yeah, they're they're definitely killing it. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, them 
uh, I, I only tuned in for a couple of minutes, but I heard, I heard you, Chad, um, asking the question about if they would be using like the Thorchain uh, specific aggregator. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of transition over time into like the more seamless uh, single transaction aggregator. Yeah, I, I don't know actually how it works today. And I, I kind of want to ask the question and I just didn't get a chance to because I was busy. But um, like when you want to swap Bitcoin to like Link, for example, on Ringo, it takes the Bitcoin and then swaps it to probably Ethereum using the Thorchain network. And where does the Ethereum go? Because it go to my wallet and then the, and then the UI notices it landed and then it sent another transaction to get via like one inch to or I don't, I don't know how i don't know how exactly they designed or structured that look into that right now but on their homepage it says solana but i just tried to search for solana on the actual exchange i don't i don't see it so maybe they're in the process of adding it right now they're probably uh you know working in some bridges you guys are on top of their game when it comes to the aggregators so uh yeah i just want to make sure they were included in the Thorchain community so uh for a swap from bitcoin to link it uses Thorchain to from Bitcoin to ETH and then one inch from ETH to Link. So I'm assuming it goes into their own wallet and then it does a, does a swap using their own aggregator smart contract for uh for that. But damn fees on ERC twenties are crazy. It's a <laughs> quite a quite a fee tacked on the end there. Just goes to show uh well, I guess nothing no one here does already know. Yeah, yeah. I, I spend more time with them because I, I really love the, the concept of what they're trying to do there. Like this, this is what the this is what the industry needs to create. They have, they have the ability to move between assets and chains without really putting much you know thought or effort. Yeah, I loved the example you posted, uh, familiar cow. I think I think it was Bitcoin to AVAX, right? Uh, well, I know it was to AVAX. I forget if it was from Bitcoin, but yeah, I thought Bitcoin that was a good. AVAX. Yeah, right, right. Cool. Yeah, that, I thought that was a great example, just because we've had like discussions even around uh avax being one of the next chains potentially and uh yeah it's cool just to see that there there already are like ways of doing that <laughs> so yeah and coming to Thorchain soon you know it's soon trademark soon <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're, we're working on avax we kind of want to see uh, i wanted to want to see some like um, low gas EVM chains added to the network to kind of give more flexibility and power to the to the ecosystem as a whole. And we're also big fans of obviously of the Cosmos ecosystem, and so we want to put more time into that too. And so we've been looking into uh, adding uh, the Gaia chain, the Atom chain, um, to the to the network as well, which would be really nice to have that. Cool. I think that wraps up for all of the uh, you know the, all the weekly updates. So uh, yeah, I see some people have requested to come up on stage we'll start letting people up um yeah uh just be be brief with your questions where we'll probably go until two we'll go like half an hour or so and yeah uh no no, no shilling or grandstanding we'll kick you off the stage so thank you guys for cooperating hey black knight you there hi there thank you um yes yeah, I'm, I'm now at my destination um a quick question um We've been looking at kind of a few integrations for Thorchain when it comes to kind of like um, Haven protocol and other things. When is when is the like proper integration with IBC networks? Because I'd like to see native rune on more of the Cosmos DEXs. Um, for example, this kill switch caused a lot of selling on SIFChain recently because SIFChain only supports ERC20 rune. 
And I was one of the people who held ERC20, not because I wanted it, but because I had it in an LP inside SIFChain. And I had to get rid of it all because they're not going to support it. But if you could make native Rune available more in the Cosmos ecosystem, especially with um, ThorChain being written by, you know, using the Cosmos SDK. So when is that going to happen? Because I think that probably should be a priority. Thank you. Yeah, good question. Um, so there's a PR open right now. Uh, the PR number is 2155. If you want actually want to look at the source code, you're welcome to. Um, we actually did get IBC working in test uh, between our chain and another chain. One of our, our devs uh, actually got set up and working and functioning, which is great. Um, so merging this chain then makes it possible to actually have IBC. But the problem that people have been talking about uh, internally is like the best implementation of it. Because the thing that we're concerned about is that um, after the, um, the issues we had last summer, we implemented new security measures. And one of them was uh, delaying outbound transactions so that in a single block, you can't you know, send in a bunch of fake assets and take out you know, $15 million worth of you know, other assets within a heartbeat. Um, and so we wanted to, to delay transactions so that an ongoing attack has an ability uh, to be stopped before funds are actually lost. And the problem becomes that the delayed outbound transactions are not delayed for native assets. They're only uh, delayed for external assets because the native assets are, can't really go anywhere. So they're not really a risk of flight. They can't leave the network, right? So, but once you add IBC, okay, well, now you can. So somebody can now swap to Rune um, through some sort of malicious activity, send that Rune over the IBC bridge to Osmosis, for example. And then sell that that rune to you know some other asset or to using another F bridge or something like this into tornado cash or whatever it might be. And so we were concerned about this kind of scenario and, and, and the security implications of IBC on, on the Thorchain network itself. And so we've been floating a lot of different ideas of, of how to get around the security flaw or the security uh, risk. And we floated many ideas on like around like creating a delay to IBC itself will require a bunch of changes and forking of the IBC code and, and do some modifications there, which could be time, uh, time expensive and you know a lot of work to, to maintain that code going forward. Uh, we talked about just adding in delays for native assets as well. That room will also be delayed and then we can make it less sensitive to adjust for times. And then we also talked about the idea of like uh, creating, a, and it sounds a bit nutty, but creating a, a second rune asset on the network that is for IBC purposes. And so swapping to that would be, um, you know, delayed potentially, but swapping to native rune would not. And so there's a bunch of different ideas that have been floated around about the best way to deal with this aspect. And we haven't really, as a team, came up with the solution that we kind of feel most strongly about. But so there's still more conversation required. Uh, so, but the actual, actual work to get IDC functioning working with ThorChain, that's already done. It's going to be merged as part of version 188, I believe. Um, and then it's also controlled by Mimir as well. So if the network or the nodes want to turn it off, they can turn it off if they choose. Um, but that's all going to be merged very soon. The last part is figuring out how do we deal with this security implication. And we haven't quite figured out an answer to that yet. So he got disconnected, but uh, that was the first time I've heard that proposal about making basically a wrapped rune on ThorChain, which is actually an interesting idea because that would also open up the possibility of essentially single-sided rune exposure in a liquidity pool, right? Because the the pool, unless you're talking about like some kind of virtual pool, uh, you know, if you're talking about an actual liquidity pool on ThorChain, then that would essentially be like a two-sided rune pool, right? 
Yeah, it would be. Um, and you could structure things that way. I don't know if it would be virtual or not. My, my assumption is that it would be virtual because if you did make it like you're suggesting into a, a real pool that people can put both assets in and both rune assets and, and earn rune in their rune, um, you might see, my concern is that you might see a flight from the other LPs or the other pools into this pool. Uh, and then which would probably push the yield of that pool to be smaller because the amount of demand to, to move rune to, uh, other IBC, uh, chains, uh, may not be that huge. I don't know how, I don't know how much of a demand that's really going to be in the end, but, um, yeah, we could do it that way. We could structure it that way, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. There's interesting possibilities out there and it's still being worked out basically, right? Yeah, still being worked out. We don't really quite know the answer yet. It still requires more more research and thought and consideration. If anybody has any ideas or considerations out there, feel free to jump in the Discord and, and voice a perspective. Yeah, as you were as you were mentioning, um, like the idea of throttling native Thorchain assets as well. I I had never thought about this before, but like, wouldn't the same concern apply to native Rune being on centralized exchanges? Um, like, if, if you could if you could immediately like leave Thorchain with native rune once it is on a centralized exchange, then like, is that, is that something that needs to be throttled um, as well? Well, it doesn't need to be throttled because that's a KYC service. Right. And so if, if you're going to, if you're going to steal $15 million and then try to sell it on crypto.com or whatever, then you're an idiot. <laughs> could you just, you just doxed yourself. Uh, um, so I, it's not something I'm terribly concerned about. My All good. We're back. Okay. Yeah. We can move on to the next question. Uh, PL, 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 PL has been waiting. Hey guys. Um, thanks for the call and doing these weekly updates with all the learnings you've done that you've received from Terra and the Terra integration. Is it the case that integrating further cosmos based chains is now something that's sort of standardized or does each chain have to go through its own custom integration? And if that's the case, like if it is standardized, like, is it, is it a case where it takes like, you can, you can say it takes three to six months per chain or has that number meaningfully come down given the learnings of the Terra integration? Yes, it is somewhat standardized. Uh, although each Cosmos chain can be implemented differently in some way, shape or form. Like in Terra's case, they can, they can implement a tax, for example. They have a, it's now set to zero percent for for UST, but they could change that, which is obviously not going to be true on you know um, a different chain. Um, yeah, it is somewhat standardized. It's relatively easy to add, to add you know Gaia, for example, because it's pretty straightforward, very simple, and so it should be shouldn't be all that much work. The real the, the bigger work about it, at least for something like a, a Cosmos chain at this point, is not so much the technical aspects to it, but just more like the biz dev. Because I think what we're real, uh, realizing is that in the beginning of ThorChain's kind of life, we were thinking, okay, let's add some chains. We'll add the chains that have the most economic value, right? You know, the ones that are the big, big heavy hitters in the space, Litecoin and, and, and BNB and, and Dogecoin and all these kind of things, which is true in, in many respects. But then, you know, what is the adoption rate, right? Like you can think about it like in two kind of parameters, like what is the, the market cap of that ecosystem, right? Whatever system we're talking about. And then what percentage of that community is going to get, you know, really excited and jazzed about ThorChain integration and provide liquidity and do swaps and participate, right? And so even though 
something take take Dash for example, which is you know relatively smaller than you know a, a larger market cap. The people behind Dash, the community behind Dash, are much more excited and talkative and like you know like let's get on it right. And the same thing with Haven. Like Haven's super tiny. Like they have maybe like four million dollars of trade volume a day of their Haven token, which is like very 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 small amount. But the people behind Haven, the community behind them are all like, you know, you're really excited about it. Right. And so we take both of those things into analysis. And so as we look into adding something like Gaia, we have to go through the process of talking to, you know, the Cosmos Foundation, talking to the influencers, people like Zaki and Jack and other people in that system and getting them kind of like on board, tweeting about it, doing Twitter spaces with us to drum up support, drum up knowledge, drum up awareness of Thorchain, and also try to get them to help the, the treasury in the sense of pr- providing capital. And so what we try to do is we try to like sell some, do like an OTC deal, sell some room to, you know, the foundation over there, the foundation sells some of their assets to us. And then we both, you know, our team and their team, both LP into the pool or pools uh, to, to so make sure that the pool starts with some decent amount of liquidity where you can do, you know, uh, a $10,000 swap and not be completely, you know, hit by fees too much. And then hopefully what happens after that point, and we saw this, this is a great example of seeing this on Terra, where it's grown, you know, I think initially between uh, our community and the Terra's, uh, Terra Labs, I think we contributed like a few million dollars, I think it's like 4 million or something like this. And, but now the pool is worth like nearly a hundred million dollars, all those pools, the Terra pools, combined whereas if you look at doge doge is like at like six million dollars right like like the, the treasury is still like probably the largest lp uh in the doge pool and it's because they hasn't really had that much adoption within that particular community because they're kind of like DeFi sensitive DeFi kind of uh hesitant you know incredulous of, of DeFi in a sense and so uh, that's part of the process is just trying to connect the, the connections and and that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's, it's easy to do because in Gaia's case, I don't need to explain to the people of to Zaki and Jack and the foundation what Thorchain is and why it's different and why it's valuable and how it provides you know, significant value to the greater ecosystem of Cosmos. But for other ones, you know, uh, other I'm not going to say which ones, but like for other ones, they don't really get it. And then they, they see us as the same as every other bridge, every like wormhole out there. And as Ken was saying earlier in the conversation, like you can't put these two things in the same box. They're fundamentally different in so many ways. And to like put them in the same box in your brain just is just not helpful. Right. And it's, it, it just, it, it puts, it puts store chain down into like a, a lower light in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. I was thinking, I think, you know, with the success of Terra, it, I think part of it comes down to just UST being extremely, you know, on this so bullish on this cross chain move and the volume that comes with that. And now we're seeing this new rise of, you know, these algo stable coins, given the given Thorchain is is so helpful for traders and such a trader oriented product at this point in time, probably a decent idea or a thesis would be that those algo stable coins, like for example, something that comes out of near next or who knows, maybe even Tron is something that's going to facilitate and draw a massive volume towards store chain as well. Well, Tron's another, <laughs> Tron's another thing. <laughs> I read the, the USDD and USDD uh, paper and I was a bit under, under, underwhelmed by it, but yeah. 
Cool. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Joshua, you there? Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, sir. All right. Sorry, I apologize. I've been fighting my phone for a minute. It's acting wonky on me. So you may have already touched on this. And if you have, then I, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry. But um, once uh, once you um, initiate the kill switch on, on Rune, how's that going to affect uh, pricing and availability on exchanges like Crypto.com and Binance? Uh, good question. So uh, we've been in talks with uh, multiple um, institutions, I'll say that are interested or at least showing significant interest in listing native Rune as a, as a fiat bridge um, for, um, you know, for many fiats, in fact. Um, so I think that's going to be something that we're going to see uh, shift over the next few months, which is a really positive thing. Um, and uh, yeah, crypto.com already, already supports native Rune already, so you can already trade uh, native Rune on that particular exchange. So, so will it ultimately be delisted or what's going to happen to somebody who might be, you know, they might have a hundred rooms sitting in crypto.com and they don't know anything about this. They're not doing anything with it. Yeah. Uh, it will probably, um, I can't speak for, you know, Binance.com or whatever, what they're going to do. I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do. I think eventually they'll probably, uh, slowly delisted. I would, I would assume because as the, as, as this kind of kill switch starts and, and starts to kind of come down over time, the the value of you know BEP2 room for example or your C20 room is just naturally going to decrease just because it doesn't it's not it's not backstopped by room anymore like like the actual room value uh it's like backed up by like a percentage of it like 90 percent or 80 percent or 70 percent as it kind of kind of comes down and so as that price kind of comes down uh i think they'll probably start like delisting it and you'll see um you know people uh just get jumping into to uh, native room is it, do you think it's going to immediately affect the value of, of native native room? Yeah, I would say if you have any um, if you have any, I'm not sure it affect the value too much. But I would say if you have any BEP two room or if you have any any ERC twenty room, I would say you know make sure you switch it into uh, native room in the next. Like Fair enough. Thank you. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, like we don't like like Chad said, we don't know that, like we don't know what they're going to do, right? But a likely scenario is that like some centralized exchange might just swap it all out on the back end, and the user doesn't even have to do anything, right? I mean, that's probably that's probably the most likely scenario for most of them. But if you want to be completely safe and you know take responsibility yourself, which is kind of what crypto is all about, uh, you know, I think personally, I think the wise thing to do is to get it switched over uh, ASAP, really, personally. Right on. Thanks again. Sweet. Is there anyone else that would like to come up and ask any questions? Queue's empty right now. Last call. Got SN50 connecting. What are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, so my question is regarding... Uh, I'm just going to connect my mic here. Okay, sorry. Uh, so uh, regarding what the chat was saying, uh, so Rango Exchange kind of basically uh, shows, I would say, not like the need, not the need to add all these EVM, yeah, sorry, EVM chains. Uh, like adding AVAX right at this point only benefits other than volume, but um, the real benefit is saving the cost of going through heat to any EVM chain. Uh, from the moment you have that first 
EVM chain. I mean, you can bypass ETH and go like let's say just uh, straight up from uh, from Bitcoin to to AVAX to whatever it you want after without paying that ETH fee. And so we don't know if or when ETH become cheap if they ever end up doing that charting phase and if it works correctly or not. But let's suppose at some point it will. So it might be just temporary. But at this point, how much energy is the team willing to put to add other EVM chains? When kind of it, it demonstrates like with the aggregator that it's not really needed. And now we were talking about adding other uh, um, Cosmos chains when it's the same principle that would apply there everything will be able to be done by by the aggregator side um so my my first view of like when i first heard about about um torching and that was my when i fell in love with it is was that capacity to go through any chain swapping like without any other middleman or centralized middleman um but right now i guess it's technically more difficult to go like to add all these we're talking about the frankenstein model before uh so let's say just to go to polka dot polka dot or any other not supported or not reachable easily chain um so that, that was my, my point how much energy are we trying to put to add chains that are kind of not adding much since we we, we can't do it already easily by aggregator aggregators um and how much is realistically possible to add these like Haven chain to and talking of Haven and, and Doge to uh, the wallet integration. I had this in 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 uh, in head. The, was that ever talked about or talked to uh, how much like the wallet integration has an impact on the volume? Because honestly, if I'm not, I'm not, I hold a little bit of Doge, but uh, just LP it. But it's it was quite complicated to had the LP, you know, you had to go to, to key store, or you could just switch it all to Rune to do your, your, your asymmetric, uh, LP. Um, but I mean, that, that gets a little harder and harder as we add chains, not everything is supported on XDFi. And I mean, will will it be Doge has been there for a while, still not on, on XDFi. Um, was there any, any like moment that you guys, uh, I guess, brainstorm on the importance of having a wallet that supports everything that that, that torching has to offer uh, and make it like the one gold standard to to interact with with uh torching uh so yeah sorry yeah, this is a bit of a, of a mix of uh, two questions there so how much energy is are we putting there on on adding chains that are, might not be as relevant come like since with the, the aggregators coming in uh is there any plan to add an actual like or just to make sure that everything is added to exe because i love the wallet but i mean the thing is that not everything is supported and even haven i i don't know how they'll do it but that might be a, a real challenge there yeah so uh i think my, my thinking or my, my intention at least is that um the aggregator well the text aggregation within Thorchain will only work to the chains that we're connected to and while you could think to yourself oh okay well i can swap to ethereum and then hit Ethereum, some bridge on Ethereum that goes over to Avalanche, and then the Avalanche could swap to, you know, um, I think it's called Average Joe or, or something like this. Um, uh, yeah, but I think the intention that I have is that, like, if, for, if we can add the top 10 or 20 chains in the community, like in the larger crypto ecosystem, um, then we can supply, you know, 
99% of 99 point something percent of the actual uh, ability to move between chains in a completely decentralized way. And to me, that's very valuable. I don't think we'll push very hard on like trying to create like ERC 20s on a theory much these days or push a little hard on the same thing for avalanche or CW 20s or any of these kind of things and just let the long tail if swaps or dexes on those, uh, those systems be used uh, to do that kind of stuff. Um, but there's still value in doing so. And the amount of effort and work that it takes to launch, you know, Binance Smart Chain, for example, is from a technical perspective, it's quite small, a small lift. Um, it's more of a lift from a biz dev perspective and getting, um, you know, uh, people like Gavin from Nine Realms to, to kind of connect and communicate with those teams that kind of help, help the launch. To add some color onto that, uh, Nine Realms is mostly the, the team that's doing all these new chain integrations. Currently, now working on uh, Atom and Avex, and those are probably the next chains that I would expect to see on on Thorchain to be added. And uh, you know, regarding your comment about like Haven and things, uh, you know, Nine, Nine Realms' goal is to make sure that uh, you know what we put out is going to be the best that we can. The best thing that we can do for Thorchain uh, at the at the time. So, uh, you know, Haven is obviously not as economically significant. It poses other uh, other risks to to Thorchain, like regulation mostly. So, that's all something that we're considering when deciding which chains uh, you know will be on next and what where the priorities lie in the chain integrations. Yeah, and as far as the wallet support, I think that really just lies on like the community projects and and whatnot, right? Um, so you know, like putting pressure on something like XDFi to get that done. But uh, I kind of love that the protocol doesn't really. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you'd say like doesn't care in a sense, but like it's kind of it's kind of awesome that there is this level of decentralization in that, and that um, you know, like the the protocol itself isn't like you know really directly dealing with uh the, the wallets right so um yeah you know i would just keep on an eye on obviously like the wallet providers that are most focused with thorchain specifically like kind of from the early days you know xd5 uh thor wallet uh thor swaps hammer wallet coming up stuff like that like i would imagine that these wallets like obviously want to stay uh you know stay as on top of thorchain features as as they can Cool. Yeah, and, and there's effort going on all the time to to kind of help um, integration, not not just in terms of like our wallets that support Doge and whatever else, but also try to get like other people to walk to, to support Thorchain and then swaps and LP and that kind of stuff. Like we've been talks for a while with Terra about getting the um, the their bridge or their Terra money thing, whatever else I can't remember the name right now, um, to get that integrated with Thorchain directly, and so you can you know swap and integrate. Uh, with Thorchain directly from the Terra ecosystem. And so doing stuff like that, I think will just make it easier for the Luna community to to utilize Thorchain in a way that, you know, helps them achieve the goals that they're trying to achieve. And the same thing with Doge and the same thing with, you know, Avalanche and whatever else, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, try to convince like, um, uh, what's it called, Pavilion or I can't remember the name right now, on Avalanche to... Um, to uh, integrate with Thorchain directly and try to get them to, to be able to do like Bitcoin swaps and Litecoin swaps and Ethereum swaps and like all these things within their UI just to just to ch- channel more trades and volume through the Thorchain network, increasing our uh, trade efficiency or uh, uh, capital efficiency. If I may, uh, as a 
talking of uh, you were talking about the top chains. Um, like not it's not my my cup of tea, but I mean that would be the point is to to I guess uh, integrate that community. But is there any any will or talk about adding well, these less uh, the, I mean let's say the chain that we don't have as much interest, like the uh, you know Cardano XRP whatever all these. Uh, that the one that we would laugh a bit much more, but I mean, there is a whole community to be on board on too. I mean, is there is there any any energy or effort put into that? Yeah, I mean, something like you know, not every chain that we're going to be integrating is ones that I'm personally a fan of. And my own personal opinion about how much of a shitcoin or not shitcoin something is doesn't really relate. It doesn't really matter what my feelings are. The question is. Does it provide value to the to the fortune ecosystem? Even a coin that is quote unquote a shitcoin. Um, you know, still provides value to the fortune ecosystem. Therefore, I have no qualms or, you know, trying to, to add something like something like a Cardano. At this moment in time, though, like there's no effort in adding Cardano. Uh, we're not in communications with the Cardano team at this point in time. Uh, we don't have a lot of Cardano people yelling about ADA, um, trying to get us to, to add it. So if the cap, if the foundation is not there, if the community is not there, then it's probably just not going to, even, even if it is a great coin, whether it is or not, doesn't really matter. It's probably just not worth the time or effort to do so because you're just going to be, you know, launching to an empty room. It'll be like a ghost town, you know, and that's just not going to be, that's just going to be a huge waste of effort if you ask me. And so, um, as of right now, we're just, we're, we're focusing on the, the, the change that we can actually have a relationship with. And Terra was like the first example of that and a really great example that we had a great relationship with Doe Kwan and the Terra era the entire ecosystem. And that just proved to be very, very successful launch. I mean, just more looking for more of that. So even if the coin, you know, is a coin that I'm not a big fan of, but the, the community is into it, their foundation behind it is into it, then I'm kind of open to adding it because it's going to be much more valuable to the network that way. Well, as uh, I was uh, hanging around in, the, in uh, the Haven chat rooms there, they're, they're, they're like, it's hard to see, like their, their volume is low, but I mean, they, 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 don't, they don't have any real decks per se to trade right now. So I guess you guys will be the first one. There's a whole community waiting for that. So uh, oh, I would yeah. say like judge the, the real volume after integrating. It's hard to say right now. I mean, like there, there's no real place to, to trade it correctly, right? I mean, naturally speaking, if, and now this is not financial advice, so nobody take it as, as such, but like if you make it much easier to acquire a token like Haven that is now pretty difficult to acquire, the price will naturally be, you know, reflect that. Right. And so that I think once Haven is added to Thorchain, the Haven price should have a very good um, kick up in value, if you ask me. Once again, not financial advice. Yeah. And the volume, like you mentioned, it's like there's just like, where are you going to trade it right now? Like KuCoin, like that kind of defeats the point of Haven entirely already. Right. So right. Uh, there's just really no reason to, to trade it uh, whatsoever at this moment. But yeah. Um, it yeah, is interesting is, that yeah. this is something that I went to the I went to the Haven uh, conference. Sorry, the Monero conference. Excuse me, the Monero conference recently in Miami, and uh, one of the guys there asked me to, to come speak about Thorchain uh, and integration and all this kind of stuff. And I was on the stage with uh, one of the guys from the Haven team. And I, one of the things I was saying to that community is that like you really want you really obviously value your privacy if you're a Monero holder or a Haven holder. You're obviously a person who highly values their privacy. And if you have to buy Haven or Monero through, you know, asking Brian Armstrong for Coinbase, whether or not you can acquire it or KuCoin or whatever, then that's kind of defeats the whole point to some regard. And so I was trying to get them to understand the value and why why a Haven or a Monero needs a Thorchain in order for it to be successful in accomplishing the goal that it's trying to 
accomplish, which is provide privacy for their users. How do you feel like the that community uh, like are they receptive to that? Um, the the Haven team, uh, the Haven community, are much more receptive than the Monero uh, people tend to be. Um, people are very. I feel like people are very skeptical when I was there. Like people that I talked to were very skeptical. They're not just of Thorchain, but even of, of Monero. Like I noticed, there was like quite a bit of hostility from the Monero people towards the Haven people at the conference that I was at. I wasn't there the whole time. I was just there for a few hours to talk and then move on to, to the next thing I needed to do with my day. But like, um, but I, I, they have a, they have a kind of a, a natural kind of skepticism towards more or less everything from, from what I understand. And that's understand. I get where they're coming from. I don't, I don't necessarily blame them for that, but all that just means to me is that they just need more exposure to Thorchain and understanding how it functions and how it works and how it empowers them to accomplish their own goals they want to accomplish, which is just a natural thing to happen once we actually add, uh, you know, Monero to the, to this, um, to the system, you know? Oh, by the way, you, you could get Monero pretty easily on, on a bunch of uh, exchange up to now, but they're just getting delisted as it goes. So, I mean, Torchin will just become just more relevant even for Monero too as we go. There's still some P2P ways to do it, but I mean, it's just harder and harder to get, like the CXR just getting rid of XMR right now. Well, thanks for the chat, guys. Cool. Thank you. Uh, we just lost our last speaker, so I guess we can wrap up here. All right. Thanks for coming out, guys. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, thanks, everyone, for all the great questions. Uh, it's fun hearing from Can. And uh, yeah, we'll run it back again next week, same time. And you can also catch the recording just back on the link to the space or permanently on the RuneBase podcast uh, on their YouTube channel, podcast feeds, uh, anywhere like that. But yeah, thanks, everyone. All right. Catch you later. Later.